Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, and uh, uh, of course, I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and uh, for some reason or other, we get disconnected all of a sudden, just at the last minute, but uh, we're back now, and we're going to be talking about Exodus, because that's what we're in, a series on Exodus, and uh, we we did Exodus 3 this morning, and of course, I, I walked around the elephant in the room about Exodus being this departure from bondage. Uh, where Moses is setting the captive free. And, of course, we connected it to Jesus Christ, who is also setting the captive free, and so that we could seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, so that we could serve God by serving one another, by taking care of one another in faith, hope, and charity. That's it. That's the summary of the gospel of the kingdom. And what that looks like, there's lots of words and phrases that we were talking about this morning, like uh, pure religion and daily ministration and uh, the wages of unrighteousness. And what are these things? And they're all in the New Testament. They're really also in the Old Testament, even though you don't find the word religion anywhere in the Old Testament. But what religion is, you do find described in the Old Testament. And pure religion is taking care of one another through charity. Impure religion is using the systems of the world that operate by force. And until John the Baptist, everybody was trying to establish the utopia of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, by force. But John the Baptist said, no, don't do it that way. If you have extra, share with those that don't have enough. So there's always been redistribution of wealth in the government of God. But it's been your choice to decide when and how to redistribute your wealth. You don't get to decide how to redistribute your neighbor's wealth. You just get to decide how to redistribute your wealth. And the purpose of this system of the perfect law of liberty is to strengthen everybody in society and to create the social bonds of society that will not break in hard times. And so this is the lesson that Moses is going to be trying to teach the people because they've been literally a farm flock for years and years and years. And uh, some say that they were in bondage for 400 years. Others say it was less. But the reality, they were in bondage long enough to become quite a numerous number of people. And they did not know the skills of the kingdom, the skills of liberty under God. They did not know the ways of the kingdom of God. But they, under the oppression that they were feeling from their government, which was the government of Pharaoh. That oppression had grown. We've seen the taskmasters uh, to serve with rigor and to afflict the people, uh, that this was quite a burden on the people. They, there actually were less male children alive during this period. Uh, and 
exactly what that is. I haven't discovered. I find little hints about it here and there in ancient writings. But what it is, is male children were valued, but male children were also taxed. Because male children could do a lot of work. They were of value. And so, originally, the one-fifth of taxation upon the people of Israel when they went agreeably into the bondage of Egypt during the famine, that 20% of their labor that was now going to be owed to the government of the Pharaoh, that put them into the bondage of Pharaoh, except for the fact that they were now... uh that they were under his authority. They were actually a human resource for the Pharaoh. But evidently the system as it was set up by Joseph was benevolent enough that they, they, they were able to survive and thrive during this period of captivity. But something changed. A new guy did not know the ways of Joseph, started changing things. They wanted to put pressure on the Israelites to weaken them because they were getting so strong. And the reverse happened. They actually got stronger and stronger. But according to recent archaeological digs, they're finding that there was a period there where there were a lot less males growing up in this area of Goshen where the Israelites supposedly lived. Now, we don't know if that's the exact right time, but it is one of the pieces of the puzzle that suggests that this Averis that we've talked about in the earlier part of the series was the location of where the Israelites were, where there were memorials to Joseph and his coat of many colors and to the 12 tribes, and this is where they were. And we talked in the earlier shows about the fact that Moses was timely generated according to the New Testament talking about this period. In other words, he went full term because evidently the people were casting out their brephos, which is the Greek for fetuses. And we also showed that hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, Christ there were people who knew how to give abortive substances to cause the abortion of uh, fetuses. And evidently that appears to be at least part of what they were doing. Because you would be taxed more heavily if you had male children. So they were creating an economic civil incentive to decrease the number of males born to the Israelites. But Moses was secreted, taken care of, then put afloat out there in the water. And somehow his mother knew how to do this so that things would happen. And I cannot believe that she wasn't doing this because she had an intuitive knowledge that this is what she needed to do. And God made it happen that he, she, Moses was found and adopted by the daughter of the Pharaoh and that set things into motion. So as the adopted son of the daughter of Pharaoh, he had a certain right to the throne. Then other things happen that we don't all see in the biblical text, but if we've pinpointed the time, we know that now uh, Moses has a right to rule over Egypt, but he has left and gone off in chapter 3 and tended to flocks in the desert. Uh, the flocks of the priests of Midian. 
Now, I don't, we don't know exactly how Midian organized their priesthood, but I've done a great deal of study over the years of what these different priesthood did in different nations. And you watch a progression that at one time the priest was doing this, at another time he started doing something different, another time he was exercising all kinds of power and authority, and sometimes he got to even be more powerful than chiefs and certainly more powerful than the people. What was the process of moving from a priest class that was a servant of society, creating, helping create those social bonds that made a society strong, and moving to the kind of priests that actually make the people weaker? What is that process? Well, the, basically the process is the difference between the priests operating by fervent charity and the priests operating by legal charity. And if you look up those terms at Preparing You, you can find out more about them. But let's get, since we only have about an hour here for this chapter 4, let's get right into it. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. In other words, people aren't going to believe Moses. It may have been because Moses was slow of speech, whatever that means. Some people think that means he had a stutter. But he didn't think that people are going to believe me. They're just not going to believe me. That was one of the things that I asked God when all of a sudden I began to realize in my own life the answer to the questions I had been asking since I was a small boy and all of a sudden, I, the pieces of the puzzle started coming together. I started seeing this. And then I was led to write the first book and the second book, etc. And I thought, like, people aren't going to believe me. And so God sent me the facts and information. Not so you would believe the facts and information so that you would stop believing in the lie. Because the facts and information that we share contradict the pervasive narrative lie that everybody has accepted as true. And we see that today. In a microcosm, we see that with the whole COVID thing. They came out with information about COVID, and you would see it on CNN and in SB, whatever, <laughs> all the different networks. They would come out, and COVID is this, and COVID is doing that, and all the people are dying, and then we find out they're not really dying of COVID. They're dying of gunshot wounds and getting run over by cars, like the one... uh Guy who was doing an autopsy said, this person didn't die of COVID. There's tire marks on his chest. Because, <laughs> you know, he says, why do they, but the, the death certificate says he died of COVID. <laughs> so, so something was afoot. There was a dishonesty in the narrative that was being approached. We knew it early on. I've gone back and listened to some of the shows that we did way back in, in 2020, early 2020 in January, and we were laying it out exactly what they were doing. But we were giving you the facts. But that was just a microcosm of what has been going on for the last hundred years, maybe even for the last several thousand years. There has been elements in the world that have been creeping into people's houses and feeding them a false narrative about the gospel. So I come along and say, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. <laughs> They're not going to believe me. So God gives me a lot of facts. He did not give me the rod of Moses, which is what we see in the very next verse. And the Lord said unto him, 
what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Now you have to remember, Moses is writing down this narrative to tell you a story. And this is the way he puts it. Exactly what God said is not, I mean, it's not in quotes, but we know basically somehow or other with some sort of inflection, God said, or this voice coming from this burning light on the desert, said to Moses, what is that in your hand? And he, and he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. He was actually frightened of the serpent that he saw. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he did put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. So there may have been a lot more to the conversation. We don't know. He's telling a story and hitting the highlights and explaining what he knew was going to happen. Somehow other God showed and intervened in Moses that Moses could do this what seems to be a magic trick. Maybe if we get time to it, I'll tell you what what exactly he was doing and why he did it. But maybe we'll save that for when we get to that chapter when he does that amongst the, the priests of Egypt. Because see, most people don't know who were the priests of Egypt. Where did they come from? What did they know? What did they learn about? Well, there are records that tell us all kinds of stuff that isn't in the Bible. And it isn't important to understanding the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is stop trying to rule over your brother. Stop trying to hit your brother, you know, the Cain and Abel story in the head because you don't like what your brother's doing. Don't stop trying to take away from your neighbor so that you can have more free stuff. That's, that's the righteousness of God. You should just figure that out right off hand. But now we're telling you the story and and relating these stories so you can equate it to your own life to see, well, you say, well, I'm not hitting my brother over the head with a club. I don't covet my neighbor's goods. I don't even know what my neighbor owns. Well, no, but you've created a system where men who exercise authority one over the other go to your neighbor's house and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And your neighbor does the same. He signed up for the same deal where he can ask the government to go to your house and make you contribute so that he can have more free stuff. And all your neighbors are doing that. And that's not the kingdom of God. That's contrary to the kingdom of God. That's actually in opposition to the kingdom of God. The people who create such systems, they're adversaries to God because God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor. But somehow, that idea has crept in until people are just saying, well, that's the way we do it. Uh, that, 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 you know, God created the government. No, no. You created the government. God gave you the power to create government, but all governments are not created equal because all governments are not created by God. They're created by people. And they're created by people by a number of means, which we cover in other areas. Let's go on to verse 6. And the Lord said, furthermore, unto him, 
Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, you know, inside of his shirt. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. In other words, it turned all white. And he go, whoa, you know, that that's something. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he did it. And he put his hand in his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. In other words, it didn't look quite as snow anymore. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Now, I can't believe that God didn't know exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> but this is this is the way Moses is relating the story, because he's not giving away the end. But he's telling you that he knew that he was going to run into these problems. And God gave him the power to do some of these miracles. Or what we call miracles because we think they're above and beyond nature. So we call them miracles. But they're actually absolutely in accordance with the abilities that Moses had. And he had developed these abilities while he was out there in Midian. And he got to the point where he could do these things. But he's doing them by the grace of God. He's not just doing them like a magician. And we'll again explain that when we get to these parts of the 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 book of Exodus. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Now we have to look at the Hebrew words. I don't know if we'll have time to do that. But the blood upon dry land, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be actually coagulating blood. The language would tell you that it actually means that it will look red like blood. It will have the color of blood. And when we do that, you know, all the time now, uh, somebody, you know, somebody's wearing a dress and you say, what color was it? You could say, well, it's red. But you could also say, it was blood red. And that, you know, that tells you a little bit more about it. So, the use of the word blood here is to tell you the color. It's not actually turning into blood. But that's one of the miracles that we will see. And we'll explain more about that as well when we get into those parts of the chapters. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but am slow of speech and of slow of tongue. And what does that mean? He just didn't like to do a lot of talking. I believe he was a man of action, but he wasn't a man of a lot of words. And here he has to become the spokesman of God. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made a man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seen, or the blind, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And this is something that we hear about in the New Testament. That they talk about not rehearsing what you're going to say at a particular time. That God will give you the words in your mouth. 
this is a very important principle because the tree of knowledge can you can you know Bill Clinton was he could memorize a two hour speech he was great at that great or Obama was a good orator a uh, good speaker I, he couldn't do the two hour speech thing like Obama uh, like uh, Clinton could but he was he was a very clever speaker but if you learn to listen with another ear you also hear what's sometimes behind the speaker. That the, the clever speaker, you know, Satan's a clever speaker too. Uh, he can even appear as an angel of light. So we have to figure out that, you know, it would be like God to take a guy who's slow of speech and have him become his spokesman, the same as he would take little short David and say, I want you to kill a giant. <laughs> so, or, you know, you got 300 men or 3,000 men and he says, oh, I just want you to use 300 men. And uh and that's the way God often does it. So anyway, he goes on to say, and he said, Oh my Lord, send I prayer thee, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. So God knows that Aaron's on his way. (laughs) He's going to come. So anyway, uh, but it talks about his anger of the Lord was kindled. That, That would be a good place to look for the Hebrew to find out which anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. What do they mean, anger? There, because we have certain meanings of certain words, and like we've shown you many times, there are certain words that they translate lots of different ways, and and the Bible. And what does that mean? And we don't have time to address it right now, but maybe I'll go back and we will address it at another time. In verse fifteen, we say, "And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth." And with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he, and he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of a God. Now it's interesting he said spokesman unto the people. I don't know if later on he says it's spokesman unto Pharaoh, but I don't think that was the case. Moses wasn't just going to talk to the Pharaoh. He was going to have to convince the people that they need to change their ways and follow the way of God. He was not just going to be preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the Pharaoh. He was going to be preaching it to all the people of Israel, even all the people of Egypt, because many of them followed them too. So in verse 17 we see, And thou shalt take his this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Jethro, he's a special kind of guy, and we don't know a great deal about him, but 
I think he was a special kind of guy. I think he was a guy who was also listening to God. And uh, I think he was probably very helpful in Moses learning the ways that Moses learned while he was in Midian. Verse 19, And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. So who was it again who sought his life? Was that Tut, Moses the second? Uh, Very possibly. Because he wanted him out of the way so that his own son, Tut, Moses the third, would become the Pharaoh. And of course by this time, because the second is dead, the third is now the Moses. And he has led armies now. Now, he's probably not the legitimate pharaoh because of the illegitimate uh, way of the ways of his birth and the illegitimate ways of his uh, father's birth. And again, if you look at the uh, uh, laws of Egypt at that particular time, that even though uh, Tutankhamun Moses II could do a lot of stuff and get away with it, and producing the next heir to the throne. There were things he could not do and was not to do and were frowned upon. But they had priests again in Egypt that had seized a great deal of power. Because with Moses the the third, when he took the throne, he was only two years old. So he's not running the throne. It was evidently his mother mostly. And there were these other guys plotting behind the scenes to seize the power because the power was wealth. And they and also what they had created in the priest class. See the we said at the beginning of the study that everybody in, in Egypt went into bondage under the Pharaoh, where twenty percent of their labor now belonged to the Pharaoh. Not just the Israelites, but everybody. Well it's not that's not really true. If we go back to Genesis we will see that there were some class of people that did not go into bondage during the famine. They could remain free. And that was the priest class. But then, you know, when I say priest class, what does that mean? I throw out the word priest and and people don't know what the priests do. <laughs> well, the priest class, to some degree, by this time, was running the banks of Egypt. And they were not subject Citizens, they were not the human resources of the Pharaoh. Now, today in America, almost everybody, including most of your ministers and rabbis and mullahs, they are all subject to the government. They're not separate from the world. They're a part of the world. They depend upon the world for their welfare. They depend upon the world for their Medicare and Medicaid and their Social Security. And they have all gone into bondage. Something Daniel would not do. Because Daniel would not bow down and serve their reserve fund. He, he just, he was separate. Even when he was in captivity, there were certain things he had to do, but he was, he was still separate. But that's another story. We'll cover that when we get to Daniel. In verse 19 we see, And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And that was probably more than just 
Tutmosis II. But those priests who wanted to use Tutmosis II and Tutmosis III to gain power for themselves. And we'll see that the the old staff trick (laughs) is going to put those guys in a bad light. Verse 20, And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand and the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. So that's not going to be a surprise, supposedly. According to Moses, he knew that the heart was going to be hardened. Uh, but it was still going to make things more difficult for Moses, or at least broaden the the whole job scenario that Moses was going to have. Because the big thing, again, was not convincing Pharaoh to let the people go but convincing the people on how they should go and what they should do in that going. And thou shalt say unto the Pharaoh, Thus saith the the Lord. And and we see L-O-R-D, all capital in the King James, that would mean Yahweh, that I am that I am. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Now again, go back to the priest class. Priests... Every family had a priest. And, you know, every family had a grandfather. He was the head of the family. They had sons who were married. That's still one family, one family unit. And the the, the unmarried daughters, they're all still in that one family. All the children. There could be a hundred people in one family. Easy. That family would have a firstborn. And that firstborn male was usually the priest of the whole family. So understanding the duties of that priest will tell us a little bit more how this unit that was created by God, this unit of a family that that is a creation uh, product, that's an institution of God, how it operated. Each family had a priest, but each family was autonomous. So how do... Multiple. How does 100 families come together? How does 1,000 families come together? Do they waive a right to some of their rights and some of the give people power over their family? Or is there a way to come together where the autonomy of your family remains your family, but yet you can still create a united front bound by social bonds, bound by virtue, Not by contract, not by covenants, not by constitutions, but by virtue so that you can be this viable nation in a world of violence and thugs and difficulties, cataclysms, etc. So that's what we're going to learn in this process of what that looks like. And, and I mean, we have to walk around that idea numerous times before we get a good perspective of it. Because it is so foreign to most of the people who supposedly preach the gospel. So verse 22, And thou shalt say unto the Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord Israel, Is my son even my firstborn? Israel being the firstborn is going to eventually be called in scriptures 
priests to all nations. Now, again, that's why it's so important to understand what a priest's job is, what a priest's job limitations are. Because if you stray from the formula of what a priest is, you will end up with priests that exercise authority. You will end up with priests that force the contributions of the people. You will end up back in the elements of bondage, the elements of the world of bondage, that we see in Egypt. So your priests have to understand that they there's certain things they cannot do. And when we look in Deuteronomy 17:16, we have articles up on that already where it tells you what to write in a constitution if you decide to have a king. And it it tells you that your priests to read that constitution to your leaders every day. And there are five limitations that are supposed to be put in there. Limiting the power of your king, your president, your prime minister, your legislature, whatever you want to call it. If you're going to have a government that can exercise authority, you need to put these limitations into place. And that's why it's listed off by Moses in Deuteronomy. Look it up, Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen. If you really want to get some insight to it, look it up at preparingyou.com. Just type in in the search engine Deuteronomy 17, and you will see what we've already written on that. But in verse 23, we see, And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me, and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So this is, this is a prophecy. He's going to be telling Pharaoh, warning Pharaoh, that you have to let my Israelites go, because they're going to be the firstborn of the kingdom of God. They're supposed to be the priests to all nations. Now, it doesn't say Jews. It it says Israel, but Israel is the place where God prevails. Israel is those people who have the faith of Abraham and are doing the will of God. Those are the firstborn because they're born of faith. Remember how many times when we're going through uh, chapter 3 where we see this letter Tav just showing up in word after word after word and the letter Tav is always the letter of faith. Because this nation was going to have to operate and walk in faith. If any nation, whether it want to call itself Israel or Judea or, or, you know, the sons of God or whatever you want to call them, if they're not operating and walking by faith, if they're using and exercising authority one over the other, to force the people to contribute to their welfare, because the priests were tending to the welfare of the families of the nation, but they weren't doing it by force. The priests of God, and probably the priests of Midian, were doing it by charity. So if they're doing it by force, you know that's not the kingdom of God. So this is the way I'm giving you some clues on how to identify Am I getting closer to the kingdom of God or am I getting farther away from the kingdom of God? So, he's telling you that the firstborn of Pharaoh is not going to survive. And basically, that means the firstborn of all the priesthood and the firstborn of all the people who do not follow and understand the ways of God. Now, exactly how this all comes about, 
uh, well, we're, we may cover that at the time, uh, but we'll just go on with verse 24. And it came to pass, by the way, in the inn, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Now this is one of those phrases or verses. There's several verses here. What is this about? What What is this all going to be talking about? Back to verse 22. And thou shalt say unto the Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord Israel, Is my son even my firstborn? And then they put in a colon here and say, And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold... I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So that seems to be pretty cut and dry. This is what he's supposed to say to the Pharaoh. And it came to pass by the way in the inn, an unusual word that we may have to come back and visit, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. The, the Lord, they have L-O-R-D there, all caps, so that's Yahweh came and sought to kill him. Is this God seeking to kill the firstborn of Moses? Sephora's firstborn? Then Sephora took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Now this is, she's cutting off the foreskins, the beginning of circumcision, uh, that is, because, who wants to kill who? <laughs> it, it, this, these verses brought up lots and lots of questions. And we will eventually, hopefully, come back and answer those questions that might come up in your own mind. But it's going to take a great deal of unpacking. Like, what in are we in? What? Why did they put the word in in there? How many extra letters would we find in the Hebrew when we read over these things? And why does this circumcision of the flesh, is, you know, cutting off a piece of your own skin... And then what does this have to do with circumcision of the heart that that they're going to talk about eventually in the New Testament? Because circumcision has always been a symbol. It's also been kind of a filter. People who say, yeah, we want to be Israelites because uh, you guys are so successful. We want to join your tribe and become a part of your tribe. But they really don't have the heart for it. But you say, okay, we'll let you in. But you have to circumcise yourself first. Whoa, man. Uh, I, uh, let me think about this. <laughs> so it was kind of a built-in governor that people were just not going to take this on as lightly. We see it all the time. We've seen it for years where people say, I agree with you 100%. I want to join up with you guys and everything. But they really, they never contribute or very little. 
they they don't really have the sacrificing heart. Uh, they're usually always angry at the government. I mean, if you went in there all angry at Pharaoh, you wouldn't get very far. I can guarantee you that. I mean, that's not the way Christ came. There is a wrath that comes. But wrath is consequences. What we do is we give people an opportunity, like Jesus gave an opportunity to the Pharisees to say, we have no king but Caesar. Because when they said that, they stepped outside the kingdom. Out of the words of their own mouth, they were no longer the chosen people because they just said they have no king but Caesar. So now they were sons of Caesar. Because you got to remember, Caesar, they knew this. Most Christians don't know this. Most Jews don't know this. But it's well documented in history. And we've got a lot of articles that explain it. That Caesar called himself the son of God. That was one of his titles. And if you have no king but Caesar, then every year you're expected to go to the temple, make a sacrifice, burn incense, and proclaim again that Caesar is the son of God. You also are proclaiming that Caesar is your savior. Of course, Christians wouldn't do that, but evidently the Pharisees did. And this is how God, Jesus took the kingdom away from them, by the words of their own mouth. And then, of course, he was the highest son of David, and the same people that they swore that they had no king but Caesar now comes out and says, Jesus Christ is the king of Judea. He says it in three languages on an official proclamation. It wasn't nailed on a little broken piece of wood, but it was uh, ebony wood covered with white plaster with these three lines in three languages that Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. And Rome, the official Roman procurator of Rome that was there at that time, Rome was there at that time for the main reason they were let in was to decide by the law of Judea who was the rightful king. And they did. Jesus. So if you didn't follow Jesus, you were no longer Israel. You were no longer the remnant of Israel. You didn't even go back to your own tents like the first tribes of Israel when they said, what is David to us? You went back to Caesar's tent. And you put yourself out. And this is this is really important to understand. This is the way God works. And this is what we're going to see in Exodus. So, now we get into verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. Now, the mount of God, wasn't that way back at Horeb? Uh, where, where Have they made any progress at all? <laughs> Are they still back there? Or is this the way they told stories? It's, you know, like... They used to do in the old movies where you would see, you know, the hero doing this stuff and that stuff. And then all of a sudden they would flash over to the other guys and you find out, oh, well, they're mounting up too over here. And then you see them racing their horses off down through the trail. And that already was taking place, but we didn't see it because they were only showing us one scene. So really now we in this these verses, we have jumped to another scene. Because God had already said that Aaron was on his way. And this was not, you know, like a 20-minute trip. If he was on his way, he was already coming. So the Lord said to Aaron, but it doesn't give us a time frame here. But then, you know, God is outside of time, so it doesn't really matter. But 
evidently Aaron shows up and he's still at the Mount of God. And he comes and he sees Moses and kisses his feet. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. And Moses and God went to gathered, went and gathered together all of the elders of the children of Israel. So now they've, they've jumped from the Mount of God. <laughs> All the way to Egypt because the elders aren't at the Mount of God. The elders are over there in Egypt. So now they're over in Egypt. This is how quickly these stories jump along. And, of course, you know, we don't don't have the the movie tone transition to know, oh, we, we just jumped over to another time. They're just jumping from verse to verse. I should probably put in a little headings here so that you can, and subheadings, so you can see that we're going we're jumping along because he's trying to get this story out. There's quite a few verses, 31 verses in this, and we're almost to the end. Maybe we'll have some time for calls, so you can think of your question if you have a good question on this topic. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. So he's in Egypt. He's gathered all the elders. He's going to be doing all the signs. But he was supposed to be doing those signs in front of Pharaoh. Uh, is this is this verse suggesting that he's going around and said, Hey, everybody, look what I can do. Throwing down his staff and, and then picking it up and it, after it becomes a snake and then it turns back into a staff. Is he doing this for everybody? No. He's telling... He's. You'll see throughout the Bible and certainly throughout what Moses writes... He tells certain things twice. And sometimes he tells the same story three times. We saw that way back in Genesis. It look, almost looks like there's two accountings of creation, which are, almost seem a little different. But maybe one is more detailed and one, another one is less detailed. And this is a common way they tell stories. I've known some great storytellers. Guys born in the Indian Territory. I'm so old. I know guys born in the Indian Territories. Uh, grew up in cow camps, rode into this valley on horseback, and they used to tell stories. And I always remember my eight-year-old son going along with me when we worked on that ranch. And he, uh, one time driving back, he says, Old Jess, that was the old cowboy, he says, he can make a trip to the mailbox sound interesting. And, you know, I thought that's an interesting observation for an eight-year-old. And I thought, you know, actually, there's an art to telling stories. And, you know, that that art is not only learn how to tell stories, but how to listen to stories. And so that's why I keep pointing out, Moses is telling us a story. As if we're around a campfire. And he's telling this story. And he will he will repeat himself. And part of that is, you know, there's a thing they do on uh, some shows that, where they have commercials. They didn't used to do it in the old days, but I see it a lot now, is that they will, they'll show a scene, and then they'll go immediately to a commercial, because they don't want to lose your attention before they go to the commercial, because the whole point is the commercial, (laughs) from their point of view. And then, after the commercials, they go back to the show, and they show the last split second of that scene just before you left the show to go to the commercial. 
And it's a way of saying, now remember, we were here. <laughs> and now we go into the transition. In the early days of TV, you would go to the commercial at a transition. You'd come back and you'd be at another scene. They didn't remind you where you were, but I don't know. It, it's become a thing now. Well, they kind of do that when Moses is telling this story. And that, you know, he jumps from the Mount of God and suddenly they're in Egypt gathering the elders. That's what he was told to do. All the stuff that God told Moses, he is related to Aaron. This is a long walk. And evidently he was still at the Mount of God when Aaron showed up. And so they're going back together. There were lots of conversations. Lots of conversations as they were traveling. Lots of conversations uh, at night, in the evening, around campfires. Uh, they're cooking meals together. And Aaron probably didn't come out there alone. He probably came out with other people. Uh, just because traveling alone was pretty risky. So, there, he's teaching Aaron lots of stuff. About what? About what he learned as a priest in Midian. Because that's who he's working for, a priest in Midian. And so he's he's teaching them all this stuff on this journey back. Now, if we also will see later, Aaron knew the arts of the temple. Aaron wasn't a brickmaker. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't down there in the mud stomping his feet, stomping straw into the mud all the time. And there were there were guys who did that, but there were also stonemasons and did all kinds of things. But he actually knew the arts of the temple. You don't learn that down in the mud pits. So he knew all kinds of stuff. And, you know, they had an end with uh, schooling and I'm sure that Moses was helping him set up where they were going to be. We just don't have a clear picture of all the details. But we got lots of hints, lots of pieces of the puzzle. So in verse 31 it says, And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So, what people? The Israelite people? Uh, yeah. The children, it said visited the children of Israel though. So maybe some of the Egyptians now were seeing something was going on in the community in Goshen that we would call Israel amongst the Israelite people. That somebody was going there and teaching them lots of stuff. Showing them lots of stuff. And had power enough to do it. But we don't know the time frame of this. Again, this is what we see here is the jumping around in time frame. We think this one chapter is just a chronological event. No. What they're going to see is when Moses actually goes before the Pharaoh. That's what they're going to see. And that's what they're going, that's when they're really going to know. And when the plagues come and the rumors run rampant through, see, they didn't have control of Twitter in those days. <laughs> so news travels like a bird uh, through the community. So they're, although they may have tried to censor, they didn't have the tools of Twitter and Google and and Facebook. So the news got out. That Moses was back in town. 
and he wanted his people to go. Now, some Israelites were not going to follow Moses, but some Egyptians were, and we'll see that. But, so those who bowed their heads and worship, we need to look at that word worship. I'll have a link there at preparing you. Bowed their heads. I mean, even worship has to do with bowing your head. But worship really has to do with serving. Doing the will of the Father. And doing righteousness. Because remember, the will of God, the divine will, right reason, and the law of nature are convertible phrases. They're all the same thing. And so, to worship God is to do things according to the law of nature. And of course, one of those laws of nature is, as you do to others, so shall it be done to you. As you judge, so shall you be judged. And if you do wickedness, wickedness will come unto you. If you do covetousness, where you covet your neighbor's goods, then your neighbor will covet your goods. And the reverse of that, if you're charitable, charity will come back to you. If you cast your bread upon the waters in hopes that it will come back to you, you have to believe that it will. And according to the law of nature, it will. But if you have wrath for your brother, if you throw him into a pit, if you make him a, a, a bond servant to you, if you exercise authority over him, you can expect to lose your freedom. It's built in to creation. It's part of the law of nature. And right reason should tell you that. And if you disagree with that, then you haven't found right reason yet. You don't know the will of God yet. So we made it to that. And there is a telephone number you can call to be uh, a guest. I think it's 319-527-6208. I probably should have given that to you before because we only have a few more minutes to the show. I, I'm not, I can't even see the clock. Oh, we only have two more minutes. But uh, if you join the network at preparingyou.com, if you haven't already joined the network at preparingyou.com, most of the people will hear this when it goes out as a podcast. But if you join the network at preparingyou.com, you can ask questions on that network. And we have... We've been answering questions for decades now, and we have done it with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles, thousands of audios, all of which we will share with you for free, but it will cost you. And if order for that information to do you any good, you're going to have to be willing to see your own errors. We In that process, we may see the errors of government, you know, like Egypt thought, well, we'll oppress these people and they will become weaker because we'll put all these burdens on them and they actually made them stronger. <laughs> and uh, they they afflicted them and so they actually cried out. But it's a certain kind of crying out that will allow God to hear. And because they were also isolated in this, probably the city of Avaris, they had to help one another out. That The benefits weren't coming as readily. We will see that in the days ahead in America. That they America is a land of benefits. Got lots and lots of benefits. Right now, many illegal aliens can get more benefits than citizens. We saw this in Australia years ago. 
that illegal immigrants in Australia got more benefits than somebody who had worked and paid taxes in Australia all their life. They got less benefits than the illegal alien. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I mean, if you want to give... And again, like I told the story this morning that in a local government agency, the sheriff came and said, will you donate $2,000 or $2,500 out of the general fund? I don't know exactly what the amount was, but it wasn't a huge amount. It, that's, a, that's a good amount in this small county. But they all consistently finally agreed that no, no, we won't. Because the money in the government coffers, they come to us by way of taxation are not there so that we can give it away and pretend to be charitable. We will not rob the people of the profit that comes, the benefit that comes from being charitable by choice. That And they're still going to have the feed for the kids that they have every year and people will come and cook and they will prepare all the food and everything. But it needed to be done entirely by charity. That's that's a theme that is growing in our county. It's always kind of been here, but it is is taking a bad beating over the years because it's become acceptable. People have become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. And instituting the rule of force, even violence, the sheriff is going to come and take your house if you do not contribute to the general fund. <laughs> If you decide, well, I don't, I don't think that those are good programs. I don't want to pay into them. Too bad you don't have a choice anymore. The choice is gone. You're not at liberty. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. It is very important because this is the elephant in the room that we start to repent, think differently. There's a way to have a government without taking away the rights of our neighbor. And that government is called the kingdom of God. And the called out ministers of the Levites, the called out ministers of Jesus Christ, were supposed to help implement that. They don't do it by exercising authority. They do it by exercising a charity. If you give to them, they can give that as real charity. Because everything they receive is a product of charity. If you're getting your charity, legal charity from the government, it's going to have a different effect. It's going to... And that effect we call the wrath of God. But if you want the blessings of God, then you have to go the other way. You have to turn around and go the other way. So, everybody who's listening, everybody who hears this podcast eventually, I want you to go to preparingyou.com. All one word, preparingyou.com. Look for the network links. Join with the email. You can get a fake email, whatever. You can join with that email deal. And in the geographical area in which you live, at least start there. And try to make contact. Let them know who you are to some degree. You don't have to give us your address. But you get to know the people on that group. They get to know you. You can go meet at a restaurant so nobody knows where you live. Because we want you to have anonymity. We don't want you to expose yourself because we don't know everybody on the network. But you have to take the risk of getting out there and meet on the mountain of God and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
by gathering together in free assemblies with the Spirit of God. We're going to eventually have these all up all through Exodus. We have uh, Corinthians. We have Romans. We've gone through all these studies. And if you go to Preparing You and look up Bible and go to the chapter you want, if it has side panels on the page and recordings on the page and links on the page, we've done that already. And there's a lot of them that we've done. But if you join the network, ask questions there. And we will try to steer you to any of your questions. And then if you don't like it, you can always just get off the network. <laughs> but eventually we want you to actually form what we call the living network, which are these hundreds and hundreds of congregations where I don't know where they all are. I don't need to know where they all are. I just need to know the connections where I am in that network. And that's what you will know. And you'll have a network where hopefully someday you can go all the way across the country and go from from congregation to congregation and people will accept you. That's what they had back in the early days of Christianity. And that's what we're going to need again because we're about to face the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Eventually we will... We have a huge block of time here where we do a 180-minute show. If you know people who want to come on as a guest... And have an actual conversation. We can set that up. But we should set that up one at a time. So join the network and bring that up. And until then, peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.